kind of began this message uh, Wednesday evening, last uh, past Wednesday evening, on introduction of or speaking about acceptable worship to God. So I'd like to, those that uh, were able to hear it and participate in it, I would like them to just keep those thoughts in the back of their mind as we continue on uh, this morning with a building upon that foundation to the praise of his glory. In reality, I prepared this, <laughs> this particular sermon a year ago in November. And I got uh, severely sick Saturday night before I was to preach it. Um... I just uh, trust in the Lord's providential timing for that reason. I'm very thankful that I am able up to recover to come in and preach this message to you. So uh, as we begin the message this morning, I think um, I'm going to try to be systematically clear as we go through it to, for the people who are taking notes because there's going to be multi-steps in it and I hope they're progressively in the right order and I believe they are. But you'll just have to uh, catch it when I, I say we're switching a, a stage here or we're going to a different step. So the best way to look at the message this morning is like a stage for a play, being prepared then ultimately for the performance. And stage work is important, and then we can refer to as background to what actually is going to be presented, what the highlight is going to be. And, you know, I often use this uh, example of a trellis holding the grapevines. You don't see too much of the trellis, but the grapevines are held on it and they're displayed and they're able to uh, reveal the, uh, receive the sunlight and grow and mature and produce. And that's what setting a stage to the Word of God is about as well. So this first part, we can call it a, giving you the background, but I'm going to call it setting the stage. In today's world environment of social upheavals, the church has to navigate a huge array of pertinent issues. We became aware to us through COVID how we had to realize there was a different struggle between the, the government and the church. We deal with the worldview of inclusiveness. We have to find out how to navigate through a righteous life in society which no longer has a standard of right and wrong. Sometimes you have to scratch your head and think, where do we even start in this secular humanistic society? There's more pertinent issues as we look at the church. There's battling sin issues. There's church conflicts. There's marriage relationships. There's family issues. There's trials and afflictions. There's no need there's no endless, there's an end, how could I say, there is no, there's really no end to the need of opportunities in teaching God's word. And one to a relative history of something that happened to Alistair Begg in the past few weeks. We see men of God being cornered with these inclusive ideas and theologies. And we have to continue to remember to pray not only for the church and one another, but pray for men that have been standing for the gospel for so long. But somehow, history reveals the church has for centuries endured everything 
the little G God of this world can throw at it. How does a church continue to stand today? And there's a very simple answer, and it's found in Matthew 16:18, when Christ is addressing Peter and saying, And on this rock, referring to himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As we go through Scripture, the New Testament is foundationally backed up that Christ is the foundation of the church. Foundation, he's the cornerstone. And Ephesians refers to him as Christ is the head of the church. Do you ever wonder why God cares so deeply for the church? What strong and everlasting affinity exists between God and the church? There's something there. And we want to bring that out this morning. There's a divine bonding agent that flows throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Something that resonates so powerfully, if we don't see it, if we don't get this, we miss who God is. You think of God, what is God's master plan? Why are we here? Is it just a war against good and evil? Scripture reveals one priority. And the Westminster Catechism states, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. In that one statement, you have the bonding agent that you find through Scripture. And sometimes, and a lot of times, it took me a while to learn this, and I'm still learning it. The chief end of Scripture is not redemption. The chief end of Scripture is the glory of God. From the very beginning time, God had a purpose. When he created the world, it was to show his glory. When he created man, he wanted man to see his glory. When he chose Abraham, Moses, and David to be part of his plan, it was to use them to make his glory known to all the nations. His ultimate act of coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, and coming back to live was to display his glory to the world. You see, this world isn't about us. No matter how much we think it is, it's about God and his purpose is his glory. It's about God and his purpose, which is his glory. That's going to resonate as we go through our our message this morning. And we have to get this soundly in our hearts and minds. So God's supreme goal in history and all that he does from the beginning to the end is to display his glory. And bring honor and praise to his great name. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. The highest end of anything in creation is the glory of God. For the primary existence of anything is due to the glory of God. You think about it as a volcano pours forth its lava. With power and awe, so does the whole of creation display the glory of God. As Psalm 19, 1 tells us. Steve Austin had a little saying, speaking to the church. We as saints, Christ's body, 
cannot sit on her hands as one of the frozen chosen. And if this morning you feel stiff in worship this morning, it's like you have become infatuated or distracted from your, with yourself and your needs. Because we gather here this morning for the glory of God. So this morning, my prayer, I trust the prayer of our own hearts as we search Him. This will be the working of the Holy Spirit. We'll reveal in a deeper way for each of us to see the glory of God. I was thinking of the five solas this past week from the Protestant Reformation. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Sola di Gloria is the victorious banner that flies high over the first four. The last sola means to the glory to God alone. It's the capstone, the highest pinnacle of theology. It is the highest apex of the entire Bible. It is the bright and shining sun around which the, the entire universe rotates. The grandest purpose in salvation is for the praise of the glory of God's grace. God saves sinners in order that a supreme greatness might be vividly put on display. You know, God pardons that he might be praised. God pardons that he might be praised. We've gotten this backwards. Yes, our hearts and our prayers pour out for the salvation of family and neighbor. But salvation is of God alone. And it is the pinnacle showcase of the glory of God as displayed in the local church. We need to constantly wrap this around our heads and hearts. The benefits of God's loving kindness continually reveal His glory. We need to every day fall deeper and deeper in love with God. Love God with all your heart your mind, soul, and strength for the glory of God. You see, the glory of God is not exactly an attribute of his being, but rather describes his superlative honor that should be given to him by everything in the universe. The glory of God is rather the created light or brilliance that surrounds God as he manifests himself to creation a glory which belongs to him alone and is the appropriate outward expression of his own excellence. As the sun shines its radiance upon us, we see and feel the effect of its being. So forth, as God's glory consumes us, that radiation praises and lifts up God. And it's no more visible than it is in the local church. God in his essential nature is truly beyond all all human understanding. The only appropriate response to studying even the fringes of of his ways are filled with awe-filled reverence. Worship, adoration, trust, and service. And the bright and shining star of God's glory is Jesus Christ and the reflection of Christ's glory 
in his church. If you are part of his church this morning, the glory of God should be reflecting and radiating out of your life. Paul writes one of the most powerful summations of worship known to man in Romans 11.36. This particular verse will be the focus of our message. It actually will be the performance. As I still haven't finished setting the stage here. This small verse in Romans 11.36 brings the previous leading inquiries and verses in chapter 11, 33 to 35, where the questions are asked, who has known the mind of God? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has given him something that he has to be paid back? And then Paul ends with this verse. For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. In this stunning, simple little verse, we find two distinct statements. This should be easy for us to get here. The first, the first half of the verse, we find God-centered theology, a transcendent movement of a sovereign eternity. The second part of the verse, God-centered doxology. To him be the glory. Theology is who God is, his attributes and his acts. Doxology is praise and worship to God. So the first half of the verse produces the second half of the verse. It provokes and initiates the worship. A high level of theology births mountaintop doxology, whereas low level theology creates a meandering stream which runs with little energy. If our theology of God is meandering even this morning, we have to listen carefully. Because this verse erupts with the theology of God. The theologians use two basic terms when referring to God's glory, intrinsic and ascribed glory. The first half of the verse speaks of God's Intrinsic glory, while the second half of the verse reveals his ascribed glory. Intrinsic glory is the substance of God. His total sum of who he is, his attributes, his acts, his works, the very being of his holiness, his infinite, vast greatness. God's intrinsic glory is the revelation of the greatness of his divine attributes to his creatures. It involves God's greatness and grandeur being manifested to sinners, especially in the salvation of, of man from sin. No one can add. No thing. No existence. Nothing can add to God's intrinsic glory. God is who He is, never diminishing, never increasing, forever the same. Self-existent, He is and He will always be. God is immutable. He is unchanging and unchangeable. God is omniscient, all-knowing. God is omnipresent, everywhere present at all times. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. 
And so God, or Paul concludes a theological treatise found in, in chapter 11, recognizing God's intrinsic glory. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And Paul then ends with doxology, ascribe glory. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So we have here in this verse two types of glory. Due to the time allotted to us this morning, we can only focus on the first part of this verse, the intrinsic glory. And we're just above ready, finishing, setting the stage here, but I got one more prop to put out there before we get to the performance. As you look at this verse this morning, there's three prepositional phrases, which is, a prepositional phrase combines a noun or pronoun to show the location, the time, or the movement. So can you see it? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. Three prepositional phrases which reveal and indicate time, movement, and location. There's nothing that lies or is found outside this parameter. As far as the east is from the west and the north is from the south, there's nothing else that falls escapes outside these statements. There's nothing. Grab hold of that. There's nothing. Here we find complete systematic theology. The entire Bible, the history of the world, all that exists in creation. And here lies the total sum of the Christian worldview, and it's all God alone. We also have a small conjunction word, for, here, that precedes the prepositions that, which connects them with the previous cause or the context of that verse, from him, through him, and to him. And that for is indicating the prior statement which is God's great plan of redemption and salvation through the history of all creation. If you back up and read the rest of chapter 11, it declares the sovereign election of Israel and the Gentile peoples is unconditionally and unchanged, rooted in his immutable nature. So it becomes fitting that Paul now ascribes glory to him, who is the source, accomplisher, finisher of man's salvation now and forever. Now let's look at those three phases, phases or phrases individually. I'm still not at uh, the performance. We're getting close. From him refers to location. Eternity past. He's the architect, the creator, the sovereign designer. God is all sufficient. Is the all sufficient cause and source of everything the originator, the efficient cause of everything in existence. Everything comes from God. Through him refers to time. He's the means, the administrator. All activity, all things are directed and governed by his omnipotent hand. Through his continuous energy, the world sustained and ruled and carried. And then to him is the movement. To the future purposes. He's the completer, the aim, and the glory. 
whose end is his goal, who for his glory everything exists, and everything will find its end in him. I got a quote here from David Cusick. He's a Bible commentator, and he writes these words considering this these, uh, this verse. All these words are monosyllables. A child just learning to read could easily spell them out. But who shall exhaust their meaning? It is all of him. This plan came from God. It wasn't man's idea. We didn't say I offended God and have to find a way back to him. Let's work on a plan to come back to God. In our spiritual indifference and death, we didn't care about a plan. And even if we did care, we aren't smart enough or wise enough to make one. It is all of him. It's through him. Even if we had a plan, we couldn't make it happen. We couldn't free ourselves from this prison of sin and self. It could only happen through him and the great work of Jesus on our behalf is the through him that brings salvation. It is all of him. It is not for me. It is not for you. It's, it's all to him. It is to the praise of his glory. It is for his pleasure that we were created and we find our fulfillment in bringing him glory and honor. To whom be glory forever. The fact that Paul couldn't figure out God makes him glorify God all the more. When we understand some of the greatness of God, we worship him all the more passionately. A couple of backup verses to substantiate that. It's 1 Corinthians 8.6. Yet, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. In 1 Corinthians 8.6 and Ephesians 4.6. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now that we have a bit of the framework, the props are up and everything's ready to go. Now we'll get to the performance. The three prepositional statements. We're going to open them up a little bit deeper. From him, through him, to him are all things. So number one. From him are all things. There's going to be a point A, B, and C under number one. Before eternity passed, God designed everything that was going to come to pass. God's eternal decree. Nothing will appear which has not already been declared. All has been etched and scribed by his omniscient hand and sealed by his stamp of sovereignty and held in places by his omnipotent power. An eternal blueprint that includes creation, history, salvation, and judgment has already been declared. This, that means that we bring this home personally, that means our appearance, male or female, how much hair we have and how much we don't have, the moment of our birth, our parents, the neighborhood we grew up in, the situation we grew up in, our schoolings and our abilities and our limitations, who we will marry, how many children we will have. Our days are numbered, and most sobering reality is our spiritual destiny is etched by God. 
These things are all etched and planned and blueprinted by God. I was trying to think of an example of a comparison. I was thinking of the Apollo space program system. If you look at the schematics and blueprints and design that went into building that spacecraft, the engineering, the mechanical, electrical, the computer logic control, the multiple wisdom and disciplines of men who have been educated working together to design a power source and backup devices and warning indicators, the man hours of training and repetitive procedures by the, the astronauts, years of trial and error through baby steps to accomplish putting a rocket together on, to go to the moon. And still, each launch, if you remember the movies, system control, they're all sitting there with bated breath waiting to see this rocket go up. Will it go up? Will the phases occur? Will it break atmosphere? Will it be going the right direction? Always wondering, did they miss something? Did they overlook something? Is there a manufacturing or engineering flaw somewhere? Man learns through trial and error. But God, his intrinsic glory, does not learn. Tozer wrote, God has never learned from anyone. God cannot learn. Could God at any time or any manner receive into his mind knowledge that he did not possess and had not possessed from eternity, he would be imperfect and less than himself. That's who we praise and worship. Move beyond our feeble fleshly thinking and go where Scripture is telling us to look and find what to understand. See, God has a predetermined purpose and will for all things. We see this in Acts 2.23. when he, It says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless people. Or lawless men. Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, from God comes the master plan. It has been stamped, sealed, and delivered by the sovereign God, the only potent, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Point A, from him are all things, is creation. God set in his mind the universe, the stars, the planets, the motion, the dimensions, the distance. The height of the mountains are measured, the depth and the volume of the oceans are known. Every grain of sand that sits in the Sahara Desert is counted. The great jungles of the Amazon, whose cavities house thousands of types of plant life, Insect and animal life is watered and fed by rains provided by the circle of wa- a, a circle of, uh, the circle of a water cycle. All animal life from single cell organisms to the largest known mammal. There's 9,700 different kinds of birds. 50 billion birds globally. 
approximately 28,000 species of fish, and I'm only stuck on one, and that's walleye. And I still don't know it good enough. <laughs> Scripture tells us God said, let the earth sprout both vegetation, each according to its kind, and it was so. Scripture said, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of heavens, separate the day and night, and it was so. Scripture said that God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures, and let the birds fly above the cross the expanse of the heavens, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And God created man, male and female in his own image. With its races and colors and cultures and languages, each one of us individuals is a soul, intellect of will and emotion. Eight billion human souls living today, which probably is a little higher now, with each one of its ancestry, began with Adam and Eve. The stats, this are probably out a few years too, 140 billion births a year, 69 million deaths yearly. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over all the earth. And also, the angelic realm was created and predetermined by God. All the angels, the heavenly creatures above, on and below the earth are all created by God. Revelation 5.13 says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him sits on the throne and to the glory, or to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The heavens ring with this praise. Point B, History. Creation, now history. A world history has been purposed by God. All our world history, whether good or bad. All world events have been through God's secret degree. Been lined up to accomplish only one thing. His will. His purpose. All aimed for an ending. For the declaration of His glory. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. See, from the Egyptian pharaohs to the United Nations today, every one of these kings, rulers, dictators, presidents, prime ministers have been placed and used and removed for God's sovereign purpose. Our gender, our IQ, our appearance, our death. All of our individual events of life are recorded in eternity past and not one recorded word will be nor can be altered. Psalm 139 gives us a deep, clear picture of how involved God is with his creation. Point C. Creation was A. History was B. And now C. Salvation. 
where creation history displays God's intrinsic glory in manifold ways, salvation is the pinnacle work of his glory for the ages everlasting. Salvation is an everlasting glory. God in eternity past with foreknowledge chose to love for eternity those he would bestow his mercy on, those who would fall under his justice. He ordained those who should accept the mediator to whom the gospel should be preached and who should be favored, individuals from whom effectual calling should make that preaching and mighty for salvation. God settled in his own mind the name of everyone chosen Every one for centuries to the last one is, cho- is chosen. It gets, it gets more precise than that. He's worked when that chosen one would hear the word of God. He's worked how they would hear the word of God, whether it was an individual reading, a message track, where they would hear the word of God and who would bring the gospel to them. There is not one detail missed. He knows the moments and the thrust of conviction that should have been felt when the time of faith would arrive into each one of his people. He knows it. He knows the spiritual birth pains each one of us will go through. He settled how long the chosen vessel should be glazed in their sanctification and when it should be taken up, being made perfect by heavenly workmanship. In the great redemption, God alone is exalted. For it was Jesus who sweats at the Gethsemane and bleeds on Calvary. None stood with our Savior. He bore the the cross alone. He worked salvation. Redemption work was through God alone. No one soul has ever redeemed or was ever redeemed by human suffering. The continued work of atonement is carried on by the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is preached today, upheld by the Holy Spirit, by pastors and elders and teachers still abide within the church. Still the energy of the Spirit goes forth to the chosen. It's still Christ crucified. The power of God and the wisdom of God because Christ is the Word and through the Holy Spirit men are called, converted, and saved. Nothing has been left left to chance or as even King Agrippa said, almost you persuaded, persuaded me to be a Christian. You see, none can be persuaded, only purchased. None can be persuaded, only purchased. Salvation is of the Lord. Each one of us who has been predestined in eternity with past has been and will be called. And those who are called would be justified and brought into the kingdom of God. And then and only then, when the last elected soul has been claimed, with the, cloud, the clouds will roll back and the Son of God will appear, and every single soul which has been redeemed will be gathered to worship and live with God living no longer by faith because we will see him face to face.
from the moment of the fall of Lucifer to the sin of Adam and Eve, the depravity of humanity, all these events have been predetermined by God. Not that God was the inertia of any of this sin, but God, in his sovereign ability, omnipotence, all-knowing, used it all, used it all to reveal a greater glory of his reflection, of holiness, of his grace, his love, mercy, and justice. In this transcending wisdom of knowledge, he, he knew he alone would receive greater glory. If Satan and sin was not permitted to reveal itself, creation would not have seen the power and the magnitude of his redemption. Have we become clear or careless with your redemption? Has it become a matter of fact to you? It should never. For it reveals the power over the grave, the setting free of the captives from the pit. All these who were once condemned, who are now called sons of God, they were redeemed, crowned with forgiveness, wrapped in robes of righteousness. And the angels marvel at what they see, and myriads of worshipers will gather around his throne, as Revelation 7.10 tells us. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. For he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. He is the source and the architect. No man cometh to the Father but by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. No man is saved by those who have been given No man is saved but those who have been given to the Lord Jesus Christ by the Father. And those who are saved, not one will be lost. And each one who is saved is now called into the church of Christ for the ultimate purpose of revealing the transforming glory of the gospel. See, this has never been about you or me. It has been and will always be about him. Point two. These are a little shorter, so hold on. Point two. Through him are all things. Now all that has been planned from eternity past will be completed and fulfilled by him. There will be no unfinished projects. And when I went through this and thought about this, this is marvelous because I'm not probably the only one who can relate on a project not being finished or turning its direction halfway through it. There will be no unfinished projects for all through him, through him are all things. There will be no under or overestimated endeavors. No getting bored with activities or the plan. No deviations or shortcuts. No budget shortfalls. No administrative overriding changes. No better modifications or remodeling to be done. Everything will come to pass as recorded on the master's plan. None of the elect will be forgotten or left behind. For the good shepherd knows each of the sheep 
and every one of those sheep knows his voice. But the saving blessings that flow through God are not on all. In fact, the Lord Jesus has stated, few will enter the narrow gate that leads to life. Many will travel the broad way to destruction. God in his inscrutable wisdom has not chosen to save all men. Romans chapter 9 is probably one of the most stark realities of this teaching in the Bible. In verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. God, this verse tells us that God endures and bears patiently and holds his wrath back and his judgment for the moment that will come for eternal judgment. And there will be ones that have been set aside to bear that eternal judgment. And there will be ones called to live with Him in eternal glory. And yet, God passionately cries out and the general grace given to each one of us, every day of our lives. Come, everyone who thirsts, climb your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul might live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And Romans 4, 2 says, or, or 2, 4 says, and yet there's going to be many that presume on the riches and the kindness and forbearance and patience of God. And God is pouring this upon us that we might know or we might come to him and be led to him in repentance. And yet, our sinful hearts are hardened, continuing storing up a day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This morning could be that moment for you if you're not saved. Where God again. In his patience and forbearance. Is presenting the gospel to you. This could be your moment. Of humbling accepting. Who God is. And what he's doing. See this is very difficult uh, to accept. But scripture is plain in his teaching. All things are through him. And with this truth, we can rest in a promise we find in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And his purpose is not to give us our best life now. His purpose is for Christ to be the firstborn among many brethren who would bring glory to him. 
Isaiah 46, 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Pastor MacArthur speaks a little bit about this doctrine. No doctrine is more despised by the natural mind than the truth that God is sovereign. Human pride loathes and despises the suggestion that God orders everything, controls everything, and rules everything. The carnal mind, burning with enmity against God, abhors the biblical teaching that nothing comes to pass except according to his eternal degrees. Most of all, the flesh hates the notion that salvation is entirely God's work. Then believers have no credit for their salvation. This is God alone. And yet the call comes to a hard, penitent heart. Come, and I will give you rest. Point three, all things are to him. Everything will be brought to completion. God's sovereign purposes will be fulfilled. All things from eternity past to eternity future will not escape his purpose. Not one little thing. God never becomes bored, never distracted or frustrated. All things will be completed as decreed. All creation, all creatures, whether above, on, under the earth, all nations, all rulers, all men will fall under his sovereign will. Everything will play out exactly as he alone has ordained. For this is a purpose for everything. Every thread in a tapestry has a purpose. Every color and shape in a Rembrandt is used to reveal a masterpiece. As every one of your 30 trillion cells in your body functions for a purpose, and inside each of those cells sits your own personal DNA, which replicates each cell of your body, and everyone's DNA is individually belonging to you alone, all of this, all of this belongs to God, who has created and sustained and will be brought to a designed end, and that will be his glory. You see, God takes what seems to be crooked and broken and makes it straight. What sin has turned to evil, God uses to complete his purpose. This is the only, the only will, the ultimate will, God's will. Philippians 2.11 says, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And now for the closing act or conclusion. This is intrinsic glory. The glory belonging to God alone, which naturally is his essence. The glory which is of his nature, not dependent on any external circumstance, power, or event. A glory that essentially is his alone, self-existent, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, and sovereign. He is the one who will not give his glory to another, nor can he, for there is no other. And Steve Lawson writes, This then is the centerpiece of God's saving purpose in the universe, the revelation and magnification of his own glory. This is what is at the center of God's being, the passionate pursuit of displaying his own glory for his own glory. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. All existence comes from him. 
He's the source, architect, and sovereign. All things are through him. He is the means, administrator, and substance. All belongs to him. He is the completion, the completer, all for his glory. And the last verse to bring to your attention this morning. Isaiah 45, 2. And this is God saying again, Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. This is an imperative command to all mankind. Turn to God and be saved. Everyone will bring glory to God. Every one of us will bring glory to God. Those who are saved will showcase His God's grace, and those who spurned Him will bear His justice for eternity. If you are saved this morning, I trust that you have a larger window of seeing God live to the praise of His glory. If you're not saved, do not continue to harden your heart. God is patient and His loving kindness to bring you to repentance. Look and live. See the glory of God. Amen.